Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A pleasure to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle as always. Adnan Burke and Michael Lombardi here with you. There's lots to get to this week. A little bit of GM Shuffle mailbag, of course, the usual games that we'll preview. But it's not often on a Thursday we're doing the podcast and we can recap football, which took place yesterday. So we're going to talk about coaching vacancies and potential coaching vacancies and openings coming up. But first off, the Steelers and Ravens, Mike, it finally happened. After a couple of postponements, they play on Wednesday afternoon at 3.40 Eastern. Nice little surprise to get some NFL football in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. Listen, as far as the Ravens were concerned, you knew it was going to be a tough game. They lost two straight, three of four. That was going in without Lamar Jackson, clearly weakened by COVID-19. But they're able to use Robert Griffin III and Trace McSorley. They didn't win this game. I think they're in trouble, but I'll be surprised. I'm a little, I, I didn't think the game would be that close. Baltimore hung around. You had said prior to the COVID outbreak, Mike, that Baltimore always plays Pittsburgh well. What was your reaction to the game? You know, I, I thought that... Uh I think this is these kind of games are when head coaches really make their statement on on their team, you know, and they find ways to be divergent in thought. I, I was I thought defensively Baltimore did really well. I think they frustrated Ben. He wasn't sharp. The receivers dropped too many passes. But for me, like if you watch RG three practice since last year. And you think he's actually going to throw the ball against Pittsburgh, then you're watching something different. I mean, in the first quarter, I mean, he's staring down receivers. He can't throw the ball down the field. You know, he throws the swing pass because that's the way they throw it in practice. You know, you can see early in a game, you know, it's like MVP Mitch the other night. He throws an interception in the deep, on a deep pass in the end zone. And I said to Millie, I said, he threw that every day in practice. And she looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, well, every day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they practiced that play. He threw the pass down the field. It was a touchdown probably, or he overthrew it like MVP Mitch does. But every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they ran that play. He threw the ball to that guy. And he, so when the game started, he was throwing the ball to that guy because coaches script for success when really coaches should script for disaster. And so he throws the ball into double coverage. It gets picked. It's the same thing with RG3. Like if you're watching him, the first play of the game, he throws a swing pass out there and he gets five yards. The next time they call the swing, he's throwing it out there because that's what he did in practice. And that's when you know you don't have a very good quarterback, that you don't have a guy who's processing. So for me, I was disappointed in, I was really disappointed in the inability of Harbaugh to come up with an offense that could have been creative and utilize the skill set of RG3 as a runner, not a thrower, and McSorley maybe as a runner and a thrower, and run the single wing. And people say, well, Lombardi, they didn't have enough time to do that. Their offense is the fucking single wing. I mean, that's what they run with Lamar. I mean, they run the single wing. They run load. They run, they run the, you know, I mean, they don't have Bobby Lane doing it, but they do it. So it would have been that hard to put McSorley on the field with RG3, challenge Pittsburgh a little bit to see how they want to adjust to it. You know, RG3 throws it sometimes, sometimes McSorley throws it, but mix it up because you knew going in the game that you were going to have to run the ball to win the game. I mean, there was no way you were throwing it against a team that 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 doesn't allow over 60% completions and turns the ball over. 
So I was disappointed from Baltimore standpoint, as if, you know, they're just going to complain and cry to the league office about how they got screwed and the bad call at the end of the half and all that. And it just, to me, was a really disappointing thing. Yeah, and you're focusing on the Ravens, their disappointment, Mike. But how about in the post-game interview? Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, he was noticeably frustrated that his team played, had a one-word answer to the following question. Uh, Mike, uh, you had uh, uh, some uh, red zone failures and a number of drop passes. Uh, do, what do you attribute that to? Anything in particular? Uh, sucking. <laughs> never never could say he wasn't succinct, right, Mike? No, I mean, you, you know, this guy, I can't wait for him to get into the TV booth because he could be exceptional. I mean, he could truly be exceptional. But the reality of it is, is they didn't play their best game and they were able to win because Baltimore really, you know, Baltimore didn't have any plan offensively. You know, if you're Greg Roman and you have an opportunity to really, you, you why not try something outside the box? You know, conventional wisdom isn't going to work. I mean, it's the great line from Mark Twain. You know, the greatest swordsman in the world doesn't fear the second best swordsman. He fears the unconventional swordsman. Well, when you get in these kind of games, you've got to be unconventional. You got to figure out some way. I'm not saying run gadgets, but you know, you got two quarterbacks that can run the ball and you got an offense that's built around a quarterback running. Call the plays. Cause if you let DJ Fluker pass block TJ Watt 50 times, you're going to get your ass beat. You know, you're going to get, you know, Fluker's not going to block. Fluker's not going to play two hand touch with them, let alone block them. So I, I was disappointed in that because I think if you're a championship level coach, I'm not saying he win that game. You just make it a little harder and you show yourself on like a basketball coach. Hey, here's how I'm going to play the game. They might catch up to me. Like, I'll tell you this, like two last week, Vance Joseph, the defense coordinator for the Cardinals, he comes out and plays goal line defense against the Patriots. Give him credit. He's like saying, hey, Cam, you, I dare you to throw the ball against me. I dare you. Now, he lost the game, but it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because Cam could throw the ball. That's what I like. I like when people think outside the box, and I, I didn't see it from Baltimore. Uh, you mentioned the Mark Twain. My favorite quote, because I've been to San Francisco so many times, is the coldest winter I ever had was July in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> moving on. It's so true, though. It's so true. <laughs> it is so flipping true. I mean, I can remember I, I, I can remember living out there working for the 49ers. Millie and I, it was like a beautiful day. We lived in Menlo Park before Menlo Park became you know, too expensive to live in. And we drove up with our parents to the city to have dinner. And it was a beautiful day. I mean, I, I, I went up there with flip-flops and a T-shirt. And I mean, I was like literally looking for a parka. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> that that wind, and it's so misleading, Mike. You're walking around going, oh, it's like 68 and sunny. Pretty nice day today. And then it's like, holy shit. It's like 42 with blustering winds. You're like, what happened here? Yeah, it's like when I got rid of this bike here in Ocean City. I Like, when I turned 17 in Ocean City, I took that fucking bike and I threw it in the trash because I was so tired of riding it into the wind. I finally had a driver's license. Like, when I was in San Francisco, this guy like, oh shit, I'm back in Ocean City again. It's fucking freezing. <laughs> All right, let's get to what is our new favorite segment here, courtesy of Harvey Keitel from The Irishman. Now's not the time to not say. We're going to look at some of these vacancies here, Mike, because obviously there's lots of names that are permeating right now, and there's lots of conversations. We talked previously, and thank you, by the way, for all the feedback we got, our conversations about the Lions and the Jaguars moving forward. Well, now when you look at some of these potential job openings, and we'll go through each of them, there are some intriguing situations. As a jumping off point, let's talk about the Eagles. That's right. Doug Peterson said he has received no assurances from the front office 
that he will keep his job for the remainder of the season, but is, quote, not going there mentally when it comes to his job security. He is 3-7-1 right now, the Eagles are. Carson Wentz, he's regressed dramatically in year five. The offense is tied to season low in points, 17 each of the last three weeks. And Peterson has said that temporarily giving up play calling is on the table. The first time he's been open to the idea publicly, but suggested a change that wasn't imminent. That's interesting to me, Mike, because... You know, all along here, as you've talked about, he's got like 12 coaches there on the sidelines, but he's the guy making the play calls. And quite frankly, a lot of this play calling is egregious. They abandon the run game too often. They don't have any playmakers, don't have any skilled players. Before we get into each of these guys, you've been saying this all along. Hey, since the Super Bowl, look at Philly's record. They're a 500 team, and they're not the same without Frank Reich. What may have appeared to be uh, premature earlier in the season, now it's a genuine question. Is Doug Peterson still going to be the coach of the Eagles moving forward? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Jeffrey Lurie has to make a decision. Does he think Doug can solve the problem? I think when coaches get fired, and we're not wishing anybody to get fired by no means, but when your expertise is one side of the ball, offense or defense, Matt Patricia's expertise was on defense. The defense played horribly. If your expertise is on that side of the ball and you can't get it fixed, then something's really wrong. Something's really wrong. Now, it's been wrong for a while. Like, this isn't the first time that the Eagles have had issues with their offense. They changed the staff. They hired a bunch of guys. They got Marty Morning over there. You know, they got, you know, they got Press Taylor over there. They got Rich, I can't pronounce his last name, from, from, from Denver over there. I mean, they got a bunch of people over there. Of course, we got Bella barking in the background, you know. And <laughs> the so, dogs are barking in Philadelphia too, Mike. God knows. I mean, she will not be. She will not be out barked. She will lead the league in barking. There's no doubt. <laughs> but anyway, so I think if you're Philly, if you're Jeff Lurie, you've got to say, if he can't solve this, you know, it's it reminds like most everything. Ad, it comes back to the Godfather, right? It's like when Rocco goes up to Fredo and says. You need to handle this, or Michael says, I have to. And Fredo says, you better handle it. Well, Jeff Lurie's sitting in his owner's suite saying, if Doug can't handle this, then I'm going to have to handle it. Like, I'm going to have to handle it. Like, I'm going to have to do something that perhaps I don't want to do because this man won a Super Bowl for me, and it's the first Super Bowl in this city, you know, and it's, he's part of it. But, you know, I got to do something. Now, you know, when you look at Philadelphia, you could say, look, Riddick was very clear on the radio, on TV the other night, on Monday night, about the, the, their drafts and about the lack of, of how the team has been put together. All valid points, you know, all valid points. But at the end of the day, you know, Jeffrey Lurie's got to be sitting there saying to himself, I've got a zillion dollar investment in Carson Wentz, and it looks like it's beat up and run down. How do I fix that problem? That is the number one question. And you point out Monday Night Football, they had that graphic. I mean, if you cut him, that's costing you $59 million. That's just not going to happen. If Carson Wentz is cut, I believe the year after the, the salary cut, with the, the impact would be, I believe, $23 million. So if Philadelphia, that's a big if, if Philadelphia looked to move on from Carson Wentz, it would be via trade in the next year or so. If if they play him for another year and things don't work out, then they could say, okay, we're going to cut him. But that, that's a separate conversation. As you point out, Mike, the bottom line is this, 
Peterson knows that he's on the hot seat. And the fact that Jeffrey Lurie, he skipped that week 11 game against the Browns in part out of frustration. Like this, there's only so much you can watch right now. And yes, the Eagles have been in the playoffs each of the last three seasons. But if you can see your team trending in a certain direction, we don't have to have back-to-back lousy seasons, right? You just cut the head off at, at the seam and say, okay, no, this isn't working out. And maybe the other part of it is this, as Doug is making it clear, hey, I'm open to giving up play calling, you bring in that strong offensive coordinator. I don't know who that mind is, but you bring in a strong offensive mind who can say to Jeffrey Lurie, hey, I can fix Carson Wentz. I can fix this. That's the biggest problem going forward. No doubt. But if how do you do that? How do you work around Doug? He's still the head coach and you're asking him to be the head coach. And yet you're saying you can't call plays and you're not going to run the offense. How do you do that? And then, you know, Doug's probably sitting there saying, you know, I don't really have a really good hand here. I don't think this team's very good. So maybe you can look at, at Howie Roseman, the general manager, and Howie Roseman's probably saying, well, I've done everything. And, you know, the coaches wanted me to draft this guy. The coaches wanted me to, you know, I, you know, I, you know, the, I did what the coaches wanted to do. Well, you know, it, it, trust me, Bill Walsh has a whole chapter in his book about what happens when losing programs. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches in Philadelphia on the offensive side that are looking for work. I'm sure there's people in the Eagles front office at the highest level that are looking to try to get out, to try to get away from this because they know that Jeffrey's really, Jeffrey is almost trapped into a decision. He's trapped into a decision. Like, I don't know what, he's not going to beat Green Bay this week. There's no magic formula. They're not going to all of a sudden start to play good. The offensive line's bad. You know, what drives me crazy as an observer, right? You're getting ready to play Seattle. You know that, you know, and you just go to the whiteboard and say, okay, here's where we are on offense. Wentz is a turnover machine. Our offensive line, especially at tackle, is really limited. With Lane Johnson and 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 Dillard, who was supposed to be our tackle, and then we we're going to move Jason Peters. All right, we're limited at tackle. We really don't have, you know, we don't have playmakers at receivers. How do we win the game? How do we win the game? Well, we win the game by protecting the edges, maybe throwing the ball quick, three steps, trying to get the ball out quick, run the ball, try to pace the game, not letting the quarterback get hit. But the Eagles run their offense, and this has been going on. They run their offense as if it's the golden rule. And so Wentz gets sacked six times. He turns the ball over. He takes a beating in the game. And, you know, Miles Sanders, I think, has six carries. I think they run it 15 times in a close game because that's that's what we do. That's what we do. We do this. This is what we do. And for me, this is one of my pet peeves about pro football is you can't do what you do. You're not good enough to do what you do. You got to figure out how to solve the problem. You're the chief figure out officer. And if Doug's the chief figure out officer and he can't figure it out, tell me what Jeff Lurie does at that point. That's the biggest issue. What's he going to do? Yeah. And that is the big conundrum for them. And since you used the expression, let's go right to the mailbag here with our conversations. We continue with the other potential job openings. This is uh, from the GM Shuffle mailbag. As always, you can email us, thegmshuffle at gmail.com. Mike and AD, huge fans, listen to every show. Mike constantly says the head coach must be the chief figure-it-out officer. If you are Joe Douglas and the Jets, who can figure out this colossal mess? I will think it's an attractive job if they get the number one pick. A lot of draft capital and cap space to shape the team. If you answer the question, Satriali's lunch on me. Dan from New York City. Yes. I'd go with the veal parm at Satriali's because Agent Harris says he's 
been dying for it when he was in a, one of those stands. Remember, he came back in there. I've been dying for a veal parm from Satriel's. Oh, yeah. And he's given, he's given Tony the heads up about what's happening with Phil and the, the other gang. It was great. It's so good. God damn, it's so good. You know, I, I think this, if you're if I'm Joe Douglas, you know you're going to clean house. You're going to change coaching staffs. Everybody in the Jets know that, you know. So I'm going to hire a culture builder. You know, I'm going to probably try to hire somebody that will come in and work with me and help me build the culture. And then I'm going to just start rebuilding the both offensive and defensive lines. I'm going to try to trade Sam Darnold for some value that I think I can get out of him. I'm going to draft Trevor Lawrence in the first round. I'm going to try to sign as many offensive linemen and defensive linemen that I possibly can. I think I've got decent receivers. Mims looks like a good player. Perryman. I'm going to add talent to the team as best I can, but I'm going to have a quarterback. I'm going to make sure I protect him. I'm not going to fall into a trap and draft this guy and not have it. I mean, when you watch the Jets, you know, they love this Becton kid. They run the ball behind him almost every play. It's to the point where they run it left 90% of the time. They rarely run to the right. So you've got to to go in there. I'm going to promise Lawrence, look, I'm going to get you protected. I'm going to spend all our resources are going to offensive and defensive linemen. And we're going to start this from ground zero and try to rebuild it that way and make sure the owner understands that we're building a culture first, that it's more important that we're going to lay down the foundation so that this kid is protected. We're not going to leave him. We're not going to pull the Zach Taylor routine and run five into a route. We're going to protect this guy and build our program inside out, be strong down the middle. Good news to the Jets in terms of, as you said, protecting the quarterback. You do got Mackay Becton there, the big man at Louisville. So that's a good sign, at least when it comes to your, your left tackle. But you look at some of these job openings, Mike. Listen, Raheem Morris has done an excellent job. He's the interim coach right now of the Falcons. They're four and seven overall. But I want to focus in on the Bears with you. Matt Nagy is the head coach. Ryan Pace is the GM. They're a four and seven team. Okay, Ryan Pace is the guy that drafted Trubisky. Do you really want this guy making decisions on talent? And Matt Nagy has proven he cannot get this team uh, to where it needs to be offensively. I mean, the Bears are a bad team right now. Uh, I, I, I just find it tough to imagine if I'm Bears ownership, I say, you know what? I'm hitching my wagon to Pace and Nagy moving forward. I can't either. You know, like once again, this falls under the line. You can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. You know, I mean, they've let Pace they let Pace make decisions in spite of the Trubisky thing. It's been three years. Nagy's been there. Pace has been there. He got there with John Fox. They fired John Fox. They went to Nagy. Nagy's twenty five and eighteen going into going into this game, only because you know he had the good season in eighteen. But the reality of it is, is, is if you're the if you're Ted Phillips, the president of the team, or you're the GM, or you're the owners of the team. This is not who we are. We have two rushing touchdowns all year. David Montgomery has one and Nick Foles has the other. We have zero toughness as a football team. Our defense, which has got all the money, we're getting nothing out of. The team has adopted Matt Nagy's personality. It's soft. It doesn't have any toughness. I don't think there's any choice here. I think, you know, when I when you handicap it, like, Okay, you know, Philadelphia, you could say it's a 75% chance Doug's gone or he stays. You know, the Bears, same with the Bears. But if that, if you bring them back at that 25%, both guys changed offensive stats last year. Both guys revamped their offense to fix it. And both guys have gotten less results this year than they did last year, which tells you they can't fix the problem. And if you're the executive of the team, They've showed you what they can do. 
certainly have shown you so far. You look at some of these other teams here, Mike. Um, listen, the Cowboys, I think it would be tough to imagine Mike McCarthy only gets one year there. As bad as the Cowboys have been, I can't see Jerry Jones making a correction there. The Texans, Romeo Cornell has been the interim coach. Uh, Jacksonville, obviously Doug Marone's the coach right now, but no official GM. Your thoughts on any of those teams? Well, I think Jacksonville, you know, obviously firing Caldwell, that puts them in position to interview. I know Trent Balky's down there. The league office uh, uh, wanted Trent Balky to get it back in the league. I think he's back down there. You know, I think Cincinnati's another one that we need to talk about. You know, where is Zach Taylor, you know, in the in the Brown family? I mean, when you look at this thing, I mean, David Shula won 19 games in his career as, as the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals from 1992 to 1996. He won, he was 19 and 52. Obviously not a very good record. But Zach Taylor's four and 22. He's four and 22. He's at a 167 win percentage. How do you bring Zach Taylor back? The offense is horrible. He wants to get five out in a route. He's got the quarterback, Kirk, killed. You know, like, tell me why you think Zach Taylor should be the head coach of any of an NFL team. And if you fired Zach Taylor, who's hiring Zach Taylor, A, to be the offensive coordinator, and B, to be a head coach? Like, seriously. Like, I'm not wishing it on anybody, but I don't think you have a choice here. Now, I know the Brown family probably won't, but Zach Taylor's off to a worse start than David Shula was. Yeah, and you're right. Again, you've got the tools or you've got the weapons. If for some reason you're unable to make it happen, that creates that level of frustration from the fan base, from ownership. We're giving you Burrow. We're giving you the weapons here. Make this thing happen. Jacksonville, as we talked about, that's an issue. Here's a big one, Mike. All right, the Chargers. Anthony Lynn, you can't tell me in good conscience the Chargers, the Spanos family is going to say, okay, we got our quarterback, we got Herbert, and we've got this head coach, who, as you said previously, is a good guy. But every single time this game comes down to the waning seconds, the waning minutes, Anthony Lynn's giving it up. I can't imagine Anthony Lynn as the coach in 2021. I can't either. I can't. I think that, you know, and the Spanos family probably doesn't want to have to do it or pay him off, but they're going to have to. At some point, you know, there's a, a situation that occurs that either you do it or you basically continue to lose money. And I think in this case, they'll continue to lose money. They got a huge arena. Next year, they're going to put, put people in the Sofitel Stadium. I don't think anybody's driving on the 110 on the harbor or on the 405 to get to there in traffic. I know they'll get there to watch Herbert, but they're not going to go there to watch Anthony Lynn mess up the game. I, I don't think this, I think there's certain times where the owner doesn't have a choice. Detroit, the owner didn't have a choice. They just didn't have a choice. Now you could talk a lot about Detroit, and you know Detroit's one in twelve since you know they've had one playoff victory. It was in nineteen eighty three. You know when they beat the Cowboys. Nineteen ninety three, they beat the Cowboys in a playoff game. But that they have, they've never been more than a wild card team since. They're zero and eight, I believe, since then. They've won one championship in nineteen fifty seven. You know, when there wasn't a Super Bowl, they've never been to the Super Bowl. I mean, the the Lions can't get it right from an overall perspective. But, you know, the Chargers don't have a choice. The Lions didn't have a choice. I don't think Jeff Lurie has a choice unless he can find a way to fix the team and keep Doug. I don't know if he has a choice. We'll see what happens. He's honestly lots of major jobs that they're, like you said, Peterson, the Eagles, the Falcons, the Bengals, the Bears, the Cowboys, the Lions, the Texans, the Jaguars, the Chargers, and the Jets. Maybe not changes for all those teams, but certainly changes will be on the horizon. When we come back, we'll preview the biggest matchups of the weekend, including a big game between the Browns and Titans. Plus, Cardinals trying to avoid a three-game losing streak as they take on the Rams. Don't go anywhere.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Mike. Listen, I think you had a good week, right, for your picks. It's been a tough yeah. year overall, but I believe you had a good week overall. I did. I was 4-1 last week. I'm 21-24-1 now, 68-46 at 4. So, uh, you know, once again, AD, I'm not messing with my numbers. I'm going to go strictly. It's going to be clinical. I don't care. You know, I mean, like on, on, on Monday night, I didn't pick the game. I didn't – but my number said take Philadelphia. I wouldn't do it. I know they covered in the most ridiculous fashion – but you know it was it was a cover nonetheless so it takes the emotion out of it i don't have to sit back and root for it you know so i just basically do that so it makes for a lot easier entertainment on sunday when i'm not trying to overthink things exactly trust your numbers as you always say check the most up-to-date betting lines by the way by using the DraftKings sportsbook app and you're right that late touchdown by the eagles the line i think was plus six and a half i mean that is just that's why if you're not a gambler you go see that's why because you can't predict these things it's too tough but Let's go to the first game of the week. I can't believe I'm saying this. The Browns are eight and three. That's right. The Browns are eight and three. The Titans are eight and three. And Baker Mayfield, they're not winning because of him. He only has two touchdowns his last four games. Both those came in week 12. They're doing it because of the running game. They're getting their chub on. Nick Chubb's been great. The defense has been great. And now they face a Titans team, Mike. They had a great performance against the Colts. We've talked a lot about the Colts defense. Well, the Titans offense, they were overwhelming against them. How do you break down Browns and Titans? Two teams, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, two teams that are eight and three. Yeah, I know. And, and, and I have this as a 2.43 game. And the line is right now, I think, five and a half. So clearly, I'm in favor of Cleveland here to take Cleveland. Once again, I'll post on Sunday, assuming. And, and the only reason I'm saying that is because, I, you know, like we just saw with Denver, who knows? I don't want anybody betting games that when there's no quarterbacks. But, you know, I think this is a field goal game or less. And the numbers shot out. They, they opened up at three. And, you know, this is two teams that like to run the football. This is two teams with play-action passes. I think Baker's going to have to make some throws in this game. But two defenses, the stronger defense of the two is Cleveland, especially with Miles Garrett back. I think he'll pressure these tackles against the uh, against the Titans, and I think he'll be able, they'll be able to put some pressure on Tannehill. They've got to stop Henry. They've got to stop Chubb. I think it goes back and forth. I don't think it's a game to where – 
It's going to be too big for Cleveland. I think Cleveland's played really well. They're well coached defensively, offensively. You know, as an underdog, I think it's a good spot for the Brownies to be in. So, uh, you know, I think what my board says, you know, 2.43, the line's five, then you have to lean towards Cleveland. I do like the fact you mentioned the coaching, because as I was denigrating Baker Mayfield, I do give credit to Kevin Stefanski because he's realized, you know what? I'm not putting the game in Baker's hands. I can win without Baker doing silly things. I can win games with my running game, my defense, et cetera. The next game, the Rams at seven and four. Speaking of great coaches, I can't wait for this. What is Sean McVay going to dial up in terms of his offense and Jared Goff and company as they take on Arizona's offense, which it felt like maybe two days ago, everyone said, hey, watch out for the Cardinals. And all of a sudden, they're a six and five team. Maybe defenses, I don't want to say they're up to Kyler Murray, but figuring out what Cliff Kingsbury is doing. Good matchup here at Kingsbury and McVay. As you see, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals in a game, a key divisional game here, Mike. You feel like the Cardinals, they got to get this game. No doubt. And, you know, this is a pick'em game for me. I had the line slightly with the Rams' favorite at 0.37. The line is now three, which means if I take it, I've got to go towards Arizona. I'm really worried about Kyler Murray's shoulder. You know, they they, they could easily be 0-4 the last month. I mean, if it wasn't for the Hail Mary against the Bills, they could be 0-4. So I'm not buying into that one. I think he didn't look healthy against New England. He didn't run with the same zip, the same explosiveness. And I think McVay coming off a now, last year, they beat them twice. You know, they moved the ball on them pretty well. We'll see how they can do. Goff's got to come back. And if they protect Goff like they're capable of in this game, these are the kind of games Goff plays well in. I mean, my numbers say take the Arizona. I probably won't touch this game on Sunday morning. But I think the Rams are primed unless Arizona makes a statement in this game. There's a lot of action on Arizona. Low ticket count. A lot of people seem to think they're going to play better. I'm worried about the quarterback's health. I'm with you. I'm going the Rams if I had to make a pick in that game. That brings us to the New England Patriots. Just when you th- kind of like Michael Corleone, just when you think the Patriots are out, they pull you back in. You think, okay, they're done. Well, they're still hanging around. They're five and six right now. Yeah, it's been ugly. Yeah, they're grinding through games, but they're taking on a three and eight Chargers team. And there's the biggest reason. I'm excited about this game. The mind of Bill Belichick trying to shut down Justin Herbert. I mean, this will be a fun game. Pats on the road. They could be a 500 team after this game. Still, Mike, at least fighting valiantly for a playoff spot in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know where Cam did not look healthy last week either. He couldn't really throw the football. I mean, Herbert is sensational. Now, I think Josh McDaniels against this defense is always good. He runs it effectively against a Gus Bradley, Pete Carroll style of defense. So I think the Patriots will play better offensively. Can they slow down this great, great offense of the Chargers in terms of their receivers? Not the design of their offense, the skill with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and then Herbert and Ecular in the backfield. I have it as a pick'em game, believe it or not. I have it as a pick'em game. The line opened up. I think the Chargers were a point and a half favorite. It went back down to zero, and now it's the now it's back up to the Chargers point and a half. I think it's a pick'em. Obviously, I'm not going to touch it, but I, I think it's good. I think it's one of those games where Belichick will understand how to attack. Put pressure. This offensive line of the Chargers is not very good. It gets them into problems when the game is on the line. There's no doubt about that. All right, that brings us to the last game here to discuss. The Saints right now at 9-2. and two. So two games so far. Theoretically, three games Drew Brees is going to miss. And the two games so far, they've been able to be victorious. They're right now, they're 9-2, and two, this team is. Take on the Falcons at 4-7. and seven. Falcons clearly playing better. Divisional game. What are your numbers see when it comes to New Orleans and Atlanta? You know, this is one of those where, where I can play. I mean, my numbers say this line should be way bigger than it is. It, it, it's a three, excuse me, it's a three. I have it as, as almost a nine point favor because New Orleans is my second best team in the league. 
with the power rankings. You know, so New Orleans is definitely much ahead of them. I think it'll be a way closer game. I think I think it's my number is off. It's 14.8% wiggle room, which is way too much which I'm, I'm obviously messed up the numbers, but they played before. It held to be true. I didn't think Atlanta looked very good the last week. You know, I could see it being more of a 4.5, four it should be four and a half. I'm probably going to lean towards New Orleans. Everybody thinks Atlanta is going to play well in this game. I, I, I don't doubt New Orleans. I think what Kate Taysom Hill said last week is true. He said, look, I was preparing to win the game all the way through the week. When I got to the stadium on Sunday and we found out they weren't going to play into their quarterbacks, I prepared not to lose the game. And I think sometimes we're going to confuse his poor play with that when I'm not sure he played poorly last week. I think he played within the scheme that he needed him to play. And Taysom Hill beat the Falcons two weeks ago as well. 24-9 was that final there. So interesting to see what adjustments they make. As you said, Atlanta didn't look as good in their last game, and Taysom Hill didn't look as good in his last game. Two weeks ago, he had a stronger performance. But we'll see. Drew Brees hopefully going to be back sooner rather than later for that New Orleans Saints team. Once again, for all the picks from Mike, go to his Twitter, M. Lombardi NFL, on Sunday morning. He'll post his picks there. As always, you can follow him on Instagram with that handle as well. I'm an Adnan S. Ferk, and you can follow the GM Shuffle as well on Instagram. When we come back, we'll open up the GM Shuffle mailbag, talk a little TV shows, all that more on the way. Don't go anywhere. All right, the GM Shuffle mailbag again. Why would a team need to hire a search firm to replace a GM slash head coach? Shouldn't they know who the top talent in these positions is already? It seems like a red flag as a team that isn't very competent. Never miss an episode. Thanks from Guy. Go ahead, Mike. I, I don't understand it. I mean, like, I don't get it. Like, uh, I mean, if they just bought my book, I, I have a whole chapter on what questions to ask. You think they're going to ask any of those? You know, it's like, now Detroit's not using a search firm, I was told. So, you know, maybe Detroit feels like they can they can find a way to do it. But everything is, there's so much margin for error in this because it's all based on phone calls. Hey, this you should talk to this guy. This guy's really a great coach. Or you should talk to this guy. This guy's a really great GM. It's, uh, once again, it's about electability, not, uh, not, not the best people or the most knowledgeable football people. You know, the last time, Detroit, they used Gil Brand and Ernie Acorsi to help them pick Bob Quinn and obviously Bob Quinn pit Mac Patricia. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why they do this. I don't understand it. I think they want to be able to have the the great Oliver Northlawn plausible deniability. You know, they, they, they're like the mafia. They want a buffer in between them. And this, this is the buffer, you know, but you know, when you're doing something, you got to have your hands in the pie. You got to understand what you need. Most of these teams don't even know what they need to be able to fix the problem. Like, say you're Jeff Lurie. You know you need, if you fire Doug Peterson, you, what you need, the list is going to be fairly short. I need somebody to come in here and get that quarterback right. That's what the Rams did with McVay. The Rams had Jared Goff, who looked like a complete disaster. They just said, "I we don't give a shit how old McVay is. We think he can fix McVay. We'll get Wade Phillips to help coach the defense, but he got Goff fixed. Okay? Smart move. Give him credit for that. That's At least they knew what they needed. 
Most of these teams don't even know what they need. That's half the problem. <laughs> Awfully frustrating when teams can't even figure out what the problem is, much less solve it. I know you've talked with the Queen's Gambit. You referenced it in the Daily Coach. I'm sure you've referenced it with The Athletic, so you liked what that show did. How about Fargo? Wrapped up on Sunday. Did you get caught up on all 11 episodes of season four? I did not. I, I still have to. Maybe I'll do that tonight since there's no Thursday night football. I haven't watched the end of Fargo. It started on the Queen, which I, the Crown, I'm sorry, which I think is excellent, you know, and I love the history of, of the, that when they go off on the tangents, you know, with Margaret Thatcher now and all that. So I, I'm on that. I haven't got the Fargo. I need to watch the final episode. I hear it wasn't great, but I'm going to watch it. All right. Next episode of GM Shuffle will break down Fargo. My wife is all over the crown. She thinks it's sensational. And you're right. She loves the, the history. Jillian Anderson, I believe from X-Files, plays Margaret Thatcher on the show, but she just loves the casting and the look of it. Really good. Yeah. Outstanding. I mean, she read a poem on there. I, I would encourage everybody to to go to the Daily Coach and read the poem about enemies. You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. Great poem. If, you have, if you're in business, read the poem. Put it on your wall. Because if you're in leadership, you're going to make people pissed off. You better understand, like she says, you must be uncomfortable not being liked. And that's key. I mean, there's one article I saw. It said Jillian Anderson on the essential stridency of Margaret Thatcher. So, I mean, that's a pretty good line, pretty good description of the Iron Lady. Meryl Streep won an Oscar playing Margaret Thatcher. Anyways, enjoy the crown. No Thursday night football like Mike said. Enjoy all the games on Sunday. We will talk to all of you on Monday. Have a great weekend.